Three people. Hello and welcome to episode 170 of Blockchain Insider. My name is Mauricio Magaldi and I'm joined by my co-host, the amazing Kai Sheffield, head of Crypto Visa. Hello, Kai. How are you doing? I'm fired up. This is a big week. This is Merge Week. And we got a news episode. We got a lot of stories to cover. Let's get into it. Awesome. So in today's show, we're going to cover some of the greatest stories of the latest news cycle. First, we're going to cover Latin America crypto firm Ripio launching prepaid crypto card in Brazil. Then we're covering Stephen Bartlett's Web3 creator platform ThirdWeb that raised 20 million pounds. And then Netflix entering Decentraland Metaverse promoted by Ryan Gosling. And to dig into this, we're also joined by some fantastic guests making a blockchain insider debut. Megan Nab, co-founder and CEO of Franklin. How are you doing today, Megan? Welcome to the show. Great. I'm pumped to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. And a blockchain insider return. João Reginato, VP of product at Circle and my countryman. Welcome back to the show, João. How are you? I'm great. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So let's dive in. Latin America crypto firm Ripio launches prepaid crypto card in Brazil. So Ripio started rolling out a prepaid debit card in Brazil that allows payments to be made in cryptocurrency and earns cashback rewards in Bitcoin. The company hopes to release 250,000 cards, which were developed in partnership with Visa by the end of the year, offering the product to 1 million users it has in the South American country. The company said, adding that the digital version of the card is already available. Company also plans to launch the card in Argentina later this year. And Sebastian Serrano, uh, CEO of Repio, said that it's not ruling out, rolling it out in other countries where the firm operates, such as Uruguay, Colombia, Mexico, and Spain. So I'm gonna turn to you, Kai, at first. So um, this is this is a big movement in Latin America. It crypto is big in emerging markets. So how, what does this mean to the region that Ripio is launching this, you know, far and wide uh, reach with crypto cards across Latin America? Yeah, th this is big news. And so I think first, we're just incredibly excited to partner, you know, with Ripio, which is an amazing company, amazing team uh, led by uh, Sebastian Serrano. And you know, we've been working on crypto linked card programs for several years now. Uh, and we've seen, you know, Crypto.com, we've seen Coinbase, we, we've seen a number of the, the large exchanges, but these have primarily started in developed markets. They've started in the United States, they've started in Europe, and, and they've really grown and they've found uh, product market fit with, you know, consumers that want to be able to, you know, earn crypto back or, you know, be able to spend against a balance of crypto and really serve as this offering. You don't have to think ahead that you might you know, need some of the value that's on your exchange. You can just tap to pay with a Visa card and spend directly you know, from that balance. And so, you know, we've been really focused on how do we just expand the reach of these programs into new markets? And, you know, we think Brazil, you know, we're seeing a lot of interest and excitement, you know, for crypto. And, and we're seeing these, you know, exchanges in the region like Ripio that are really executing on rolling out you know, new products. And I think it really speaks towards crypto moving from you know, just being an investment uh, in crypto exchanges being a platform for trading, you know, more towards payments. And we think cards are this you know, critical piece you know, for an exchange or a wallet 
you know, to have a shot at becoming a consumer's primary account, you know, you have to have a way to be able to access those funds. And, and we're excited that, that Ripio is, is really leading the, the way in the region. Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges for crypto adoption, we've, we've touched about this uh, a few times here at the show, is enabling conducive UX, right? So I'm turning to you, Megan, you know, what's, what's your take on cards as a means to facilitate this UX? And what are the other means that uh, you're aware of that uh, these uh, adoption pathway could forge to move forward? Sure, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it's interesting. Uh, I think that it's important for different issuers to kind of meet the populations that they're operating and where they're at. And so prepaid debit cards makes a lot of sense for this uh, area of the world. In my industry, which is payroll, we see a lot of uh, payroll processors innovating in places outside of North America. In East Asia, for example, using um, prepaid debit cards to actually issue paychecks. Um, you know, obviously, Sub-Saharan Africa, it's more of a mobile-first approach. So uh, this sounds like something that's, yeah, going to be very interesting um, for, for that market. And João, you are in the realm of stable coins, which are in their own right also uh, ways to facilitate crypto adoption by and large. What's what's the role of you know cards in in your perspective for this? Because we're, we're we've grown so so used with uh, you know the kind of ubiquity of cards everywhere. You, I mean, I've been in the UK for a few months now. Everywhere is tap to pay. You don't you you barely you know do the math anymore. Do you believe that this is the right path? And also, what's the role of stablecoins of moving that forward as well? Yeah, I just I love this kind of product. Um, I think we at Circle we we talked to Kai and the Visa teams a few, quite a few times about how this uh, empowers a particular set of use cases. Right, I'll, I'll tell you one anecdotal evidence, um, even though it's not quite I think the profile people have in mind, but. Uh, when, when COVID started, I live in the U.S., but, but I'm originally from Brazil, as Mauricio said at the beginning. Uh, we share the same same nation. Uh, and my when COVID started, I wanted to I wanted to keep going to the gym, but obviously, you know, everything was shut down. And so my, my brother lives still back in Brazil and he has a, a personal training business. And so it was kind of an obvious thing, right? We just talked the two of us and said, how about you start doing this remotely and, you know, you figure out a way to pay me. Obviously, I, I lead the, the, you know, the stablecoins product division at Circle. So, you know, whenever people say, you know, you pay the way you want me, I'm going to try to pay them in stablecoins. And, and so I told him, you know, how about I pay you in USCC? And he set up, um, I, set, I think he set up a Mercado Bitcoin account back in the day and I started sending him some USCC. But the, the interesting thing is that the use case he has for USCC right now is basically having some exposure to the dollar, right? Like as, as a lot of Brazilians, a lot of South Americans, we, we all love to have some exposure to the dollar. Our currencies are usually, you know, uh, complicated from an inflation point of view. Um, but he doesn't really have a lot more utility from that. So this is quite clearly a product now that he will be very interested in, right? Because all of a sudden now he can have a card, which is the, you know, the best payments experience uh, uh, in, in South America these days. Uh, and, and he can actually use those funds for many things. And, and then subsequently to that, he recently visited us in the US quite just a few months ago. And he was, you know, again, kind of a bit stuck, right? Because he has these these digital dollars sitting on an account and it wasn't so easy for him to spend it in the US. So he could have brought uh, just, you know, a Visa card over here and, 
and spend it as well. So I, I love this kind of product in how they behave as, a, as an off-ramps for these cross-border payments, right? And that can be settled in, in the form of stablecoin like USCC, but at the border then they make it free for people to spend and have real utility for that value and whatever they want. Yeah, I think this this concept of like the last solving the last mile problem is is so important. And and we've seen that you know stable coins running on public blockchains are you know pretty efficient for cross-border payments. You know, if you want to make a remittance, if you want to make a disbursement, you know, if you want to do you know payroll to remote workers, but it's only as useful as the places that you can spend it. And so if you can unlock and say, you know, you can now spend that balance at, at any merchant that accepts Visa, you know, then, you know, there are more people that can get paid, you know, via payroll and stable coins that can receive a remittance in a stable coin. And it takes out a complex step sometimes to have to figure out, you know, how to convert, you know, into a, a local currency. And so we think this is, you know, still, you know, early days, but it's, it's a familiar experience that will unlock more and more utility for these assets going forward as more exchanges like Ripio are able to, to roll these out in new markets. In your, you know, your opinion, the panel's opinion, I mean, we can go one by one, but just the importance of bridging those gaps in emerging markets. I mean, how, how big is this? Why, why start there? I mean, I know Ripio is a local Latin America uh, exchange. There are other competitors in the space like Mercado Bitcoin, like so all of them are operating multiple countries and they're trying to kind of bring more people on. But how important is it in, in emerging economies, in your opinion, that crypto is making such a, you know, progress that, you know, in leaps and bounds towards broader adoption, which might be much faster than we're seeing in developed countries? Why do you think that's the case, uh, Megan? Yeah, certainly. So, uh <laughs> Thinking, think about actually, you know, back in the day, I started up a sort of network of internet cafes in sub-Saharan Africa. And during maybe 10 years ago, there was immense infrastructure problems around starting up that kind of business um, that is like pervasive throughout different emerging markets. Uh, over the past 10 years, we've seen so much investment go into these different economies, but there's just this, you know, basic infrastructure issue that that exists, you know, it, it, it exists in these markets. Crypto has the ability to really speed up some of these like more bureaucratic issues that, that exist in, in, in different markets. So I, yeah, I think that there's a lot of opportunity and it's really important uh, for innovators to be present in those markets and really meet the needs of the people that, that they're there to work for. And Jerome, do you think that it has to do with the trust or the lack of trust that Latin America's have in the traditional banking system? And if so, is there a way to cooperate and, and turn that around collectively? I, th I think there might be some of that for sure. But I think in general, it, it, I see, we, we see with the use of uh, stablecoin, the stablecoin products that we have launched, we see two primary drivers. One, one is what Kai mentioned, what I mentioned before, right? So these these remittance use cases, these cross-border payments use cases, um, I think, uh, I think it's quite clear when you when you when you experiment some of these use cases over crypto rails over blockchain rails whether you're using a stablecoin or not you just experiment the, the 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 value proposition much more much more clearly i think than than a lot of other cases and the, the second element of what and, and you know developing markets typically you know have have a strong representation over those those cross-border corridors right whether it is from from a remittance point of view or others um particularly now i think with you know again the COVID has pushed 
a lot of companies, a lot of particularly startups to just have a completely global mindset to their workforce, right? It doesn't really matter where you hire people anymore, but it, but as you move into that direction, it's quite complicated to pay people in all these uh, cross-border scenarios. And so uh, crypto becomes like, again, much more palpable from a value proposition point of view. The second thing is is more, I think it's more of the, 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 the pressure, you know, sometimes inflationary or, or, you know, from a different perspective uh, that these currencies in these markets suffer, right? I lived in Brazil, you know, up until 17 years ago, and, it, and you know, it, it has, things have improved a lot, um, but I do remember my dad going to, going to the bank with, you know, a bunch of paper notes to, to have them, you know, stamp, uh, you know, three additional zeros to the notes. It was, it was as crazy as that in some of these jurisdictions, and it still is, right? So um, having people the opportunity to legally be exposed to to foreign currencies, right? Particularly these these more valuable currencies like the the dollar, the euro, uh, the pound sterling, whatever it is, is is interesting for a lot of people in in emerging markets. And so I think these two value propositions, these two use, use cases, we we do see a lot of traction, um, you know, in emerging markets because of those. Yeah, there's there's a lot of space, and uh, I'm glad that we're able to actually go and do something that is beyond borders with the whole crypto infrastructure. But while we're talking about UX for users, the next piece of news is about UX for developers. So Stephen Bartlett's uh, Web3 Creator Platform, Third Web, raised 20 million pounds. So this startup uh, is a round of Series A funding, and the investment is coming from Coinbase Ventures and Shopify. The platform, uh, Third Web, provides tools for developers to build Web3 applications such as NFT marketplaces, community rewards, and play to earn games. And the applications can be built on top of blockchains such as Ethereum and Polygon. Bartlett, who's known for his Diary of a CEO podcast and for appearing as an investor in the BBC show Dragon's Den, said that, and I quote, Web3 is the most important technological shift I've witnessed in my lifetime, end quote. Bartlett, uh, who also founded Social Chain, added, we built Third Web to give the builders that are creating this next iteration of the internet the tools they need to be successful. And when they are successful, the world as you know it will be remarkably different, remarkably better, end quote. So I, I've been a developer uh, from a very early uh, stage in my career. And the first time I, I came across the, these uh, low-code or no-code solutions, I was blown away. They were doing so much more than I ever could possibly imagine, and they were turning designers or regular people into coders gradually as they needed to do more sophisticated stuff that the no code or the low code platforms didn't allow them to do, which, you know, if you have other experiences building on top of that is great. So what does this mean in terms of adoption and, and pace of evolution? Uh, Kai, I'll turn to you. Is this something that can unlock a massive new wave of innovation because now ordinary people, or I, I'd better say non-coding people, would now be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of no-code, given that you know I took a computer science class and pretty much completely failed it, was never able to be successful as, as an engineer. And so I remember when I came across uh, Shopify in the early days, I was like, wait, I can build an online store without having to write any code? Like, this is amazing. And I was setting up storefronts and playing around with like, it just gave you so much power in in these tools 
that so many more people could use. And so it's interesting seeing Shopify participating in this round and saying that the complexity and the types of things that you can build with no code, it's just getting greater and greater. And so getting smart contracts down to templates where now anyone can create you know, an NFT, anyone can create a, a fungible token, I think it just unleashes creativity because there are a lot of really smart, you know, creative people who have ideas, um, but they may not, you know, have the the training and, and the expertise to, to build those ideas from scratch. Uh, so I'm a big fan of like uh, with Zapier and like, you know, tools that you can kind of just program and connect, you know, things together. Uh, so I'm really interested to, to see, you know, what, what Third Web can do here and particularly around uh, commerce use cases. I feel like, you know, for most merchants, you know, it seems unrealistic that merchants are all going to become smart contract developers. Like there's like a real risk of trying to build and write your own smart contracts. You know, if you get it wrong, there, there's a very high cost. And so if you can create, you know, secure, easy to use templates that merchants can then, you know, remix and play around with, I think you'll see more of these, you know, token gated, you know, commerce experiences that are just creative and interesting and find ways to engage consumers as kind of a, a new type of, of a loyalty program. And so I get really excited about, you know, that specific aspect of it. I'm not sure how much of third web is commerce versus, you know, DeFi versus, you know, other aspects of it. But I, I think these are the types of platforms that are needed, you know, to just you know, bring more entrepreneurs in the space who, you know, aren't going to learn, you know, solidity, you know, from the ground up. And you mentioned something I, I maybe want to test uh, uh, Megan's uh, understanding of this. Shopify being involved. I mean, we, Shopify had big uh, NFT news a couple of months ago. We even tried to get them on the show. But the thing is, are they grooming their own audience? Is this something that is like building to their own audience and making sure that they have more clients on both sides of the of the equations? Is this the play? What do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it is, right? And you can't really fault them for that. It's in their business interest to do so. This third web news makes me think about that that adage that every company, you know, eventually becomes a fintech company or eventually becomes a bank. You know, I think that this sort of plays to the theory that every company out there will become a Web3 company. Um, we've seen a lot of investment over the past few years go into products like this, like uh, to be able to bid embedded financial experiences into non-traditionally financial applications. We are, I think, at this point as an industry, in, in at least the crypto industry, that's exciting where we do have more sturdiness in our technology. We have smart contracts that have been out on the market, so to speak, for many years. They hold lots of AUM. You can have a high level of um, comfort that they're secure uh, uh, pieces of technology. And so to templatize that and, and make it more accessible, I think is the right thing to do, you know, probably for Shopify, but also probably for the industry at large to allow entrepreneurs and, and not, not traditional technologists to own the full stack of their business. So I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think knowledge, time and cost are, are big factors um, for anyone trying to get into, I mean, I, 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 I try to code Solidity, you know, a couple of times. I'm not great at it. I have to <laughs> have to confess. But if there's anything that would help, uh, you know, whatever ideas I have uh, turn into reality, that that could be certainly powerful. Um, how do you think, uh, Jean, this uh, kind of plays out in the long run in terms of bringing more people into the space? Is this something that we're going to see simplifying the way that you know, if anyone can code, then anyone can be their own self-sovereign DAP? 
Is that what we're you know going for with uh, with this trend? Yeah, I think this is a category that I I particularly pay a lot of attention to, and um, you know the 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 no code uh, side of this is is very very ambitious, right? I actually think we in in this kind of technology that we we all work on, we are we are further behind, I think. But in any case, we we do need uh, you know tremendous innovation in this space because I actually think this is where we have the biggest gap in terms of uh, adoption because we're not going to get to you know billions of end users and consumers leveraging crypto unless we get first of all like a ton more developers building and innovating on top of this space right sometimes different sources point out that you know there are tens of thousands of, of developers working on on web3 and blockchain technology these days that's kind of the scale that people talk about well guess what there's there are ten, tens of millions of developers in the world right touching all sorts of technology so we are we're very very behind so i think anything that helps uh, like up the abstraction level, as as I as I call it, in, in terms of everything that is involved in in coding and developing um, applications in this space, is welcomed because, uh, and we we are trying to do the same, right? Um, it's it's not it's not very easy uh, for anyone uh, to to code in Solidity to code, you know, to integrate directly with smart contracts, as you said, Mauricio, and uh, and maybe that's not the the point at all. Maybe people don't need to do that. Maybe that's the wrong level of abstraction, right? We need to get developers better better solutions, better better tools, uh, and so I think what Third Web is doing, and a lot of other comp companies in this category are doing, is is really really important, and we're not going to see the next wave of adoption, I think, until we see this first next wave of developer adoption. Lovely, awesome. So we're gonna take a quick pause here to hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Visa, one of the world's leaders in digital payments. Crypto has opened up a new world of possibility and Visa's helping everyone take part. Visa enables commerce across their network and crypto networks through solutions like FinTech FastTrack, a quick and easy way for crypto innovators to issue payment credentials. Join us in this new money movement Learn more at visa.com forward slash crypto. Hey folks, the first ever 11FS awards are coming this November and we need you, our listeners, to get involved in the nominations. Let us know who you think are the industry game changers, the biggest rule breakers and the best leaders. Nominate your favorite companies worthy of recognition over 14 different categories right now over at 11FSAwards.com. That's 11FSAwards.com. Get your nominations in before midnight on Monday 19th of September. Then join us on November 16th to celebrate the best and the brightest in the fintech and financial services industry. Full details on 11fsawards.com. Welcome back. For the second half of the show, we're starting off with Netflix enters Decentraland Metaverse promoted by Ryan Gosling. Uh, so Netflix has joined Decentraland, launching a replica of a maze found in its recent film, The Gray Man, starring Ryan Gosling. The aim is to complete the maze as quickly as possible, using one's knowledge of the film to win digital wearables featured in the movie. And so this indicates a wider trend in which brands enter the metaverse, hoping to find new avenues to engage with consumers and create new revenue streams. So maybe Megan, starting with you, like. What do you think about this trend of brands going to the metaverse and, you know, Decentraland? 
is this effective? Are there consumers there ready to engage with them? Are they too early? Is this just innovation theater? What do you think? So I think that, you know, it makes sense for, there's been a lot of hype over the past, you know, two years or so from, you know, the advent of meme stocks and, and, and sort of like wider, at least name notoriety adoption of crypto. This is a nice low risk way for brands to start dipping their toes into the Web3 world. When you set up a store in the metaverse, so to speak, in Decentraland or Sandbox, you don't have to worry about, um, you know, a lot of sort of other regulatory questions that come up when you look at things like launching a token or, or other kinds of assets. So, you know, I think that it, it's, it is right for brands that want to get into this space to sort of meet the user base where they are, which in this case could be Decentraland. I also think that we uh, have seen the like adoption of NFTs by large brands largely as a sort of extension of a CRM where you have all of this data on chain and you can incentivize your, your buyers in new and interesting ways. And so it's experimental. Uh, I'm interested in it. Uh, Netflix has a huge reach. And, you, you know, I think that it's, it's a fun way to try and further engage their audience. You know, whether or not it's sticky and, and continues or they get that kind of adoption via this particular channel will be something else to keep an eye on. Joelle, what do you, what do you think? Have you been following the virtual world metaverses? Are people in Decentraland already that are, you know, coming across a Netflix activation like this, or are these activations getting people to you know, set up a wallet and go into Decentraland for the first time? Like, is there enough of a critical mass of consumers in these environments you know, to have success with these yet? I, I, th I think there's definitely super interesting traction. Actually, we, we work with the, with the big time studio team. We, we work with those guys, so we see what they're doing and we see their growth and it's, it's fairly relevant. Uh, and, and I think the interesting thing, I completely agree with Megan. I think the interesting thing with these kinds of experiments, because I agree, I still qualify them as, as experiments, right? Nobody knows for sure the scale of, of the, the outcomes that will come from something like this. But I think you're testing hypotheses, right? You're, you're crossing one particular segment of users with another one. Um, for example, I, I haven't had the chance. I have two kids. Maybe, maybe that's my excuse. I haven't had the chance to, to watch the gray man. Um, you know, but I have, but I've played with Decentraland. I've played with all these things. This makes me curious now, right? This makes me curious to, to engage with it. But if I haven't watched the film, then it's not really interesting for me. So, guess what? I'm going to go back to Netflix and I'm going to watch that movie first and then I'm going to see what I can do with it on Decentraland. So I think it, it, it it's nice in that it, you know, it literally crosses like, you know, their audience with uh, and allows them to, you know, through numbers and as Megan said, potentially through broader use of NFTs, uh, you know, just have, it feels like it's an extension of CRM really and you're, you're testing uh, you know, these new environments, testing these new products, testing, um, you know, virtual environments and, and, and asking yourself, you know, what portion of my core segment of customers is participating on this and what I can do to incentivize them more. So I, as I have user of Netflix, you know, the gray man was not on my list, but all of a sudden it, it pops up a little bit more now. Yeah, the, this concept that we've talked about a number of episodes on the show of like NFTs as a public permissionless CRM that, you know, anyone can access. Uh, is fascinating because they're just not only does Netflix you know, know and, and can communicate you know with fans of of this uh, of this movie now Amazon Prime can now Apple can now any other brand any other studio can look on chain 
and see here are people who liked this movie enough to like go through the maze in Decentraland. And so Mauricio, like, what do you think the implications are of, of having all of this data that normally it was just Netflix's customer inside their database, they knew what you watched. Is there gonna be like a, a recommendation engine based upon this open source data that you know other brands will will take advantage of? Yeah, I think it. The, the, there's uh, some, and I, I'm going to use a, a word that I hate, which is democratization of access to this data, which is now public. And I think that kind of triggers a lot of uh, curiosity. I mean, we're seeing the wars of the streaming services. Right now, we had uh, a bundling on the cable services. Now there was a re, uh, uh, unbundling on uh, streaming. And now there are services they're aggregating. So you get Disney and Netflix, and it's a combo of some of the stuff and then someone else is uh, combining other stuff. So as part of this progressive streaming wars, what I think we're going to see is that data is now critical for you to win that rebundling war. So what do these people really like? Do they really engage to the game? Is the game really fun? Can I build something much more fun on top of what's built already? Because everything's now composable. I can program on top of everything that, that, that exists now. Do I give more meaning to the NFT that these people now have in my environment so I can attract them with a much more fun proposition and hold them longer in my own environment or in the environment that I built? which is then going to create something else, which is the additional data that now Netflix has access to because they know from their audience who's using this alternative service as well. So this is going to be an ongoing one-upping of data usage uh, from on-chain data uh, to actually get the attention of the audiences. So I'm, I'm just so excited about this. Yeah, it's, it's interesting this happening kind of in a parallel environment with Decentraland. I'm waiting for the day when you know, it's on Netflix. When you're watching a show, you can interact with that show and change the art that's on the wall through an NFT that you own and have more of these experiential, um, you know, films and, and movies, kind of like the the Black Mirror, choose your own adventure. So uh, someday, someday we'll, we'll get there. But moving to the next story, a star-studded digital avatar startup Genies launches NFT fashion marketplace. And so, you know, Genies is known for its high-profile partnerships with celebrities such as Justin Bieber, Migos, and Cardi B, has just released its long-anticipated NFT storefront, The Warehouse. The Warehouse is going to be available to the general public. Users can download the Genie Studio app. They can create their own avatars and buy digital fashion items to dress them. Where do we start? Megan, what do you think about digital fashion? Is, is this a thing? So it is a thing that I've learned about recently. It is, uh, yeah, lots of people are interested in this. And I think it goes back to the sort of ethos around, you know, where the crypto industry started in the first place, which is, you know, being able to open up access. So being a fashion designer is, right, a fairly expensive thing to become. You have to have certain kinds of physical equipment. You have to have access to lots of raw materials. You have to have some schooling or education around it. Um, the idea of digital design is a lot more open. Uh, and so it enables this whole new generation of, of creators to be able to experiment and per perhaps enter an industry that they might not otherwise have the resources to do. Um, I think 
again, like whether or not it is something that is here to stay or that brands decide to really invest in, um, you know, is remains to be seen. Joelle, do you have any NFT based clothing yet? And if so, why not? <laughs> no, no, I do not. I have several types of NFTs, but that, that category is not one that I that I have yet. But funny enough, I just mentioned earlier, I have I have two kids and uh, this is a style of game that would be like completely natural for them, right? They, they play with non, non-metaverse, non-NFT power, non-blockchain powered games that, that are effectively to do with, you know, you have an avatar, you have a character and you dress it up. Um, but having, but like extending that concept, I think, which I think is really, really popular with, uh, you know, a younger audience, extending that concept with actually owning those things and, and being able to, you know, acquire and, and really extend the concept of fashion properly, right, and, and have exclusive uh, items associated with uh, with your characters. I think I think this is really, really promising. I think this is one of the the most promising ideas, I think, around all these um, these NFT categories that we have seen over the last two years. Um, and I think uh, I'm, I'm biased, but, you know, again, we are we work very closely with the Dapper Labs and Flow teams, and I know they are partnering with uh, with Genie, Genius, who, by the way, have an, an amazing, amazing team, I think, behind what they're doing. So I'm, I'm bullish on this one. I think this will become very, very hot soon enough. And, you know, as you said, I don't I don't own any piece of clothing or any uh, or any shoes on the metaverse. Maybe I should maybe I should think about that. One of my first jobs uh, you know, in uh, after college was I was the account manager uh, for travel pay. And one of my accounts was the Kim Kardashian Hollywood iOS game, which I remember laughing about of like, oh, who's going to play this game? And the whole point was like you would decide what Kim would wear and where she would go. And it was one of the fastest growing games you know, at, at the time, probably 2013, 2014. And so it's like, this is a time tested, there is demand to you know have some type of an avatar and decide what it wears. But part of the question I have is like, is it digital only where you know it's just your avatar and it's just you know what you're wearing online? Or is there also a physical component where there's this concept of forging, where you can buy the digital version and then you can then forge it into also a physical item that you can wear later. And that's what we've seen, you know, Nike and Artifact and, and a number of brands, you know, start to go to. And so Mauricio, curious your thoughts on like, you know, the overall addressable market of digital only versus digital first that then becomes a physical item that someone can wear and have this digital twin, you know, NFT tied to it. Yeah, I like the whole idea of redeeming a digital item uh, in a real world item that you can sport anywhere. I think that's we call it digital, like when the like the border between digital and, and and physical become, you know, blended. I think I think that's a great use case. I think Adidas did uh, some of that with uh, board apes, uh, which I think is great. But what I'm probably most interested in is in the combination of medium in the metaverse. So if you buy a digital a shoe, can that shoe play music? Can that shoe give you access to other medium? Can it play a video? Can it let you record a video of yourself that then gets NFT'd somewhere else? Like, can you monetize that online activity? And if you do that, can you redeem that on a physical world? Who's gonna build? Who's gonna build that for you? So I think that's a lot of combinations, and, I, and I'm I'm pretty sure this is probably something that's going to be tried and tested and thrown out. 
But for some reason, it just makes me a lot more, you know, optimistic that we can bridge uh, physical and local. Because I, I, you know, I bought some nice sneakers online on an NFT. If I can redeem that and use that in the real world, how much more cooler will I look in the real world if I'm wearing something that it's kind of digital first, right? So I think that's kind of where I, I would hope this space would kind of explore a little bit. But I think if you can combine the digital market, which, you know, I don't know how big that can be with, you know, the sneakers market, which is a massive market and increasingly so in the real world, I think there's a lot of multiple benefits from either side, uh, and especially like the sneakerheads will want provenance of that collectible that is a real world collectible. So yeah, you can have that with an NFT. And just coming back to the, the previous uh, discussion on, well, do we want to know the, the built-in CRM that NFTs represent? Imagine that for like actual apparel brands bridging those two worlds with the CRM data that NFT really represents. So yeah, I think that's super powerful. And, and just, you know, it just makes the product of these two markets much, much bigger than you know, they are on their own. Yeah, Mauricio, I totally agree with you. Uh, you know, I have a past life uh, working in equities brokerage, and I immediately think of sneakerheads around this because there's massive financial infrastructure around these types of products, huge uh, alternative asset brokers that are registered with the SEC. It's expensive to trade these kinds of things, and a lot of it does come down to provenance. So the idea that you can have these digital items, so to speak, be much more easily traceable with a lot less intermediary sort of transaction in the in-between is in itself probably a little bit less sexy, but a real exciting innovation. Sneakers are, it's almost like cultural objects as an asset class. And it feels like we're like starting to hit an inflection point. Uh, I, I have to confess, I've spent you know more money on digital NFT sneakers uh, in the past few weeks than I have on physical sneakers in the past few years. Uh, but now there are Air Force Ones on the blockchain. Like, that is amazing. The fact that Nike has actually put Air Force Ones on chain, like, you you can't resist. Anyone who's who's been wearing Jordan shoes, like, that's, it's just something that's, it's it's a moment. So, um, really excited to see where, where this space goes as, as the digital and the physical, you know, come together. Yeah, well, thank you. I love that discussion. I, I get so excited about you know collectibles, and uh, that was that was there were great insights here. Thank you guys so much. And on our last segment of today's show, we want to give a shout out to the tweet of the week. Tweet, 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 tweet. It's the tweet of the week. Tweet of the week, which comes from the new UK Prime Minister Liz Truss. She tweeted, "We should welcome." Hashtag cryptocurrencies in a way that doesn't constrain their potential. Liberate free enterprise areas by removing regulations that restrict prosperity. Hashtag policy exchange. Hashtag future freedom. Hashtag shakeup. And you can see that tweet on her account at Trustless. Well, this is important. It's important that a new, a new government, a new administration gives light to this new form of economy that we're now trying to create. And as we've been encouraging, the more regulators get on chain, the faster that's going to happen. So yeah, it's a good good comment on her and let's see how that evolves in the next months. 
And just before we wrap up, we also have a fun announcement from us at 11FS. We're teaming up with FinTech Nexus to bring Merge to London. You can join us on October 17th and 18th at the Tobacco Dock for two days of conversations on all things Web3 and FinTech. The event will be co-chaired by one of our your very own Blockchain Insider hosts, me, and will feature innovators and thought leaders driving the biggest changes in the industry. You can get your tickets from the link in this podcast description. See you there. So let's uh, wrap up the new show. Just as a quick reminder, nothing we share here is legal, tax, or financial advice. Views or opinions expressed by the panel are their own and do not necessarily reflect the view of the entities that they're representing. Thank you so much to all our guests. Where can people find more about you? Megan. Sure. Franklin is a hybrid cash and crypto payroll system. Check us out at hellofranklin.co or on Twitter at Franklin Payroll. Thank you so much. João, how can uh, people find you online? So Circo is the issuer of USCC and Eurocoin, uh, the two of the leading stable coins in, in crypto markets. You can find more about what we do there at circle.com and you can find me on Twitter on at Reginato. Thank you so much. Kai. On Twitter at Kai Sheffield and visa.com slash crypto. And as for me, you can find me at 11fs.com or at Twitter at 0xMauricio or on LinkedIn, Mauricio Magaldi. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you really love it, please leave us a review. It helps us make it better and helps other people find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Blockchain Insider or email us at podcasts at 11FS.com. This is all for today. Stay rare. Stay weird. LFG.